Good morning to each one of you this morning. I want to welcome you all here to this part of the service, especially you visitors that came. We are glad for your presence with us here this morning. Thank you for the singing, for all that was already put into the service. Truly, we can sing hallelujah for the blood when we know the final results of the shedding of that blood and of that death and all that that entailed is the resurrection and the power that was exemplified. As we heard this morning, the resurrection, how grateful I am this morning for the resurrection. I'm grateful for what was shared this morning. I just want to thank Warren and Lyndon. I knew that this was Easter Sunday and I I went to my studying with the intent of bringing something related to Easter and uh, began my, of course, my thoughts thinking about a message throughout the week, thinking about Easter and, and, and yesterday sitting down and putting some thought and some effort and trying to get some things pulled together and my thoughts in my mind kept gravitating a bit of a different direction and I kept telling myself this is Easter Sunday. People are going to be looking for some sort of a main message related to Easter. And uh, however, my mind continued to go a bit of a different direction and I thought about giving in to the temptation to call Warren to find out if he's sharing something about Easter, but I did not. thought maybe he would and I'm grateful that he did. Uh, I'd like to just make a number of comments here this morning as it relates to Easter, but um, my mind is going a different direction, and we'll go there after a while. However, just to make a number of comments this morning, several verses that I jotted down here, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering being made conformable unto His death. First Peter 1.3 tells us, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Christ from the dead. You know, the Christian doesn't just celebrate the resurrection today because it's Easter Sunday. My understanding, that was a common celebration of the Christian church every first day of the week when they got together. A celebration of the resurrection of Christ, even though I do appreciate that we can single a day out. I don't think that's wrong to put more emphasis on the fact of the resurrection and what it is. You know, this morning it's the believer's hope. It's the believer's hope. I'd like this morning, just before I get into some of the meat of where I'm going with the message, to do a little bit of making some reference to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And you can turn there because eventually we do want to end up there. I began... uh, Yesterday, my studies and my meditation out of uh, 1 Corinthians 15, because it talks in 1 Corinthians 15 about the resurrection. Seems like throughout that chapter there was a bit of debate going on. Some were not believing in the resurrection. And uh, Paul was giving various uh, teaching there. And I am not going to read the entire book of 1 Corinthians 15. But as it relates to (coughs) Easter today, And the focus and the attention that we are given to the resurrection, I'd like to make just several comments out of this chapter. Verse 19 talks about if all that we have in this life is hope only, 
Not that confidence, it says, were of men most miserable. <clears throat> but I trust that is not our case this morning. With the confidence that we have in Christ and in the resurrection. It talks in this chapter about an Adam all die, but in Christ this morning all will and can be made alive. Verse 23 talks about Christ being the first fruits. And I believe it's referring to Christ's resurrection. And those which are asleep in Christ will someday in the like manner raise uh, with new bodies. <clears throat> Verse 24 talks about a day when he'll put down all power, rule, and authority. That day will one day come. And all enemies will be put under his feet. Verse 24. And it also talks about uh, our greatest enemy is death. And you know... <clears throat> This morning, as we think of Christ's resurrection and as we think of death, you know, death is one of, or possibly the most feared enemy in our society today, is it not? Is it death? You know, regardless of our belief or our persuasion, all of us one day will face death. Every religion, whether a person is a believer or not believer, regardless of what he believes in, Someday we'll face death. And I think that's why we have the rush in our day that we do. Um, you know, people becoming more and more health conscious. And I believe as Americans, even we, the church today, ought to become more health conscious. I realize all that and I'm not bashing that in. But I do believe that more and more in our society, yes, people look at death and they face death with fear. And the unknown. And we understand that. Someone just referred this week, I heard, and you know, in, in a lot of ways it is that way when there's a funeral. People tend to deny the reality. In fact, my understanding is a lot of funerals in the world, most of those or the close family and those will leave the funeral site before the burial. They can't think of the pain of, uh, it seems so cruel laying that body to rest. And I, I just, uh, I have such vivid memories, Darcy and Marta, when <clears throat> little Nathaniel was buried in the grave, that the siblings were part of the burial. And you know, it's because of the hope of the resurrection. We shall not all sleep, even though it's painful <clears throat> and there's a sting there. Thanks be to God for the victory that is only in Christ Jesus this morning. What a blessing for the Christian this morning to have the hope of the resurrection. <clears throat> well, <clears throat> I'm not going to be referring a lot to, uh, although I would like to a little bit, I was uh, doing some reading this week in the John's account of the resurrection. In John 20 and 21, there's a bit of, it seems to be a bit of confusion. Uh with God's people, with the disciples, you know, as they came to the tomb. And, 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 you know, we look back on the account and we look back at the scriptures that where Jesus taught clearly that the third day he was going to rise again from the dead and all those things. And we look back and sometimes we wonder, why didn't the disciples get it? Why did it, why did it take them so long? Why did they, why did they seem so confused there for a bit? And, and, you know, it's interesting as you read through the chapter 20 there how the light begins to dawn on him. Uh, it says that John was the first one, I believe, to look in the grave and see and believe. And I just thought an interesting observation as I consider that. You know, John, if I'm understanding Scripture correctly, John was the one, different times it says, 
whom Jesus loved. John was the one who Jesus loved. And John was the one that was leaning on his breast, I think, as they ate one time. And it was John that looked into the grave and was the one that believed first. And I think John, it almost seems like John is one that is singled out as one that, could we say, lived closer to the heart of Christ? I think there's a lesson in that for us. I think there's a lesson in that for us this morning. To be like John. And then we have Thomas. He doubts. Uh, there in the latter part of chapter 20, Thomas doubts. He says, except I, uh, I forget exactly how he says it, he's not going to believe. And then when Jesus shows up that time in their presence, he said to Thomas, reach hither thy finger and behold my hands and reach thy hand and thrust it into my side. Be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered, my Lord and my God, Thomas believed. And then Jesus said those precious words that ought to be precious to us today. And they're precious to me. In verse 29 of chapter 20, Jesus said unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they which have not seen and yet believe. That blessing is for the church of Jesus Christ today. We haven't seen, we haven't been there, we haven't observed, we haven't witnessed. But today we believe. And Jesus pronounces a blessing on us. And then he says, many other signs did Jesus in their presence, which are not written in the book. But these are written that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing we might have life through his name. Do we have life through his name this morning? Thank, thank God for that life that we have through his name. Now, I'd like to refer, before I get into where I'm going, a little bit to verse 21. And this is kind of what began changing my focus, at least musing over this passage of Scripture. Maybe I'll just read a bit of portions of it. Uh, John chapter 21, I'll begin reading at the beginning. This is, says, uh, I think it even says it here in verse 1, After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. On this wise showed he himself. Maybe it's in the beginning I read there that it was the third time. But this is, I believe, the third and the last time of his public appearance to the disciples before he left. It says, There were together in verse 2, Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathaniel of Cana of Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately. And that night they caught nothing. And when the morning was come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. Children, you know this story. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw for multitude of fish. Therefore the disciple whom Jesus loved said unto Peter, It is the Lord. There we have John again. That disciple, I believe it's referring to John, who Jesus loved. He says, It's the Lord. Now Simon Peter heard it was the Lord. He girded his fisher's coat on him, for he was naked, and did cast himself in the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land. But as it were, two hundred cubits dragging the net of fish. And as soon as they were come to land, they saw the fire and coals and laid the fish thereon and bread. Jesus said unto them, Bring the fish which ye have caught. Now Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fish, a hundred and fifty and three. For there were so many, yet was not the net broke, broken. Jesus said unto them, Come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou, knowing that it was the Lord? Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth it. And giveth them, and the fish likewise. Now this was the third time. Okay, there's that verse. This was the third time that Jesus showed himself to the disciples after he was 
risen from the dead. And then from there we have the account of Jesus asking Peter that question. He says, Simon, son of Jonas, in verse 15, do you love me more than these? And I referred that the last time I think I had shared here about how Jesus asked Peter that question three times. I'd like to suggest to us this morning, as I study this passage, maybe you'll disagree with me, but as I look at the, the passage of Scripture that I read there, the first part of John chapter 21, I'd like to suggest to us that this morning that this is a bit of a negative coming out of the life of Peter. But I think all of us would have to admit, many times in life we have the Peter problem. Do we not? I suppose you probably know what I'm referring to. Peter says in verse 3, I go fishing. And then we have, it says on there, the others say, we go with thee. And they went forth and entered into a ship immediately. You know, I believe there's a lot of confusing things going on in their minds. They were disappointed, yet they had great joy. And we look at this account and we wonder now, Peter, how could you, after such a miraculous event took place, they knew that Christ was alive, he rose from the dead, he had his miraculous appearances, all those things happened. You know, there was a lot of, there was a lot of loose ends, I, I believe, that weren't coming together in their minds. There was a lot of things that they didn't understand. A lot of things that they didn't understand about all that was, ta- that had taken place and that was taking place and there was a lot of Things as they looked into the future that I think looked foggy to them. And when those things begin to happen, many times we resolve to the same thing that Peter did. And we, 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 we do what comes easiest. You know, I don't think there was any resistance in Peter's mind, the idea of going fishing. It was what he knew how to do. And I believe it was very easy for Peter to make that choice. You know, this morning I believe, and we know the rest of this passage how Jesus asked Peter that question three times. And Peter says, and Jesus says, Peter, feed my sheep. You know, God, the Lord Jesus, was wanting to raise up some fearless leaders for the birth of His church. I believe He was. And I believe that has a lot to do with the question that Jesus was asking Peter in this account. And we know that Peter, after he was baptized by the Holy Ghost, was a tremendous pillar in the church of Christ, in the birth of the church, in the salvation of many souls. And we look back on this and we appreciate it a lot. You know, I think Peter was saying numerous things back in verse 3. I believe he was saying, it's confusing, I don't understand, I'm going fishing. I believe he was saying, fishing is easier. I believe he was also saying, I thought I had it figured out with what was happening and I was misguided. He could have possibly been saying that. Maybe you would disagree. And then I believe he decided he's going to do what he knows best. And in doing that, I believe he influenced others. Because it says there immediately they entered into the ship and they went fishing. And as we know the account as I read, it was a fruitless effort, was it not? It was a fruitless effort. They caught nothing. You know, there's another blessed reality as we consider this story of Jesus erring and going his own way as Jesus was nearby and he was observing and he knew all that was going on. And Jesus tells Peter to cast his net on the right side of the boat. You know, I think in all reality, one of the things that 
Jesus was saying to Peter, Peter, are you going to do it my way or are you going to do it your way? Can we agree with that? Peter, are you going to do it my way or are you going to do it your way? John says it's the Lord. And then we know Peter stepping out of the boat and going to the Lord. I believe he did there. Uh, and we know after they obeyed, they reaped an incredible harvest. And you know, this morning, I'm not going to suggest to us that if we simply live a life of obedience to Christ, that we're always going to be on the successful end of the stick and wonderful, great, miraculous things are going to be happening. I feel like that is part of the gospel. Yeah, those wonderful things are happening, but I, I don't think we can put our stock and our confidence fully in that persuasion that we're always going to live a blessed life and we're always going to have a miraculous harvest and great and mighty things are always going to be happening if we do it God's way. Because we know sometimes God's way is suffering. Sometimes God's way is we don't understand a lot of things. We know all that. Anyways, I had referred to these scriptures before, so I'm not going to elaborate on them a lot the last time I had shared, but I think it's least worthy of us considering and looking at, and that's chapter 21, verse 18, after Jesus tells him to feed my sheep. He says in verse 18, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thine hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whithersoever thou wouldest. And I know the next verse talks about uh, that that, that all being part of the death that he would die. But I think we also have to acknowledge that when Peter surrendered and yielded his life to Christ, he was carried by a power and God had him do incredible things for him when Peter resigned his life and his will and his way to God. I referred to it the last time. I'll refer it to it again. Verse 21, Jesus seeth Peter said, Lord, what shall this man do? Jesus said to him, If thou wilt I tarry till he come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. I think Jesus was telling Peter, Don't you worry about that man. You worry about the lot and the calling that God has for you. I think that's what he was telling him there. I'm going to write down this morning what my title is. And I'm going to majorly shift gears. You're going to wonder how I got there. isn't writing so good. I guess I'll just do it. I guess I'll have to have a little bit colorful up here. John Ray told me the other Sunday I was being patriotic. I had a red and a white. I had a red and a blue pen with a white shirt. So I have to be careful what I do. The apple of his eye. did that wrong. Now I'm really getting confused. Maybe I should just tell you what it is and let it go. The home, the apple of his eye. This morning I I would like to talk a bit about the home. Someone has suggested to me some time ago that I would consider sharing a message or there are several messages about the home. And I have been pushing it off. There's a certain amount of, of fear that goes along with that. 
there have been others that have shared things about the home. And this morning, I just have a number of different points that I would like to share about. And it's far from the Brian Nolte has arrived and has figured it out. I will say that to you this morning and just share a bit of my testimony. As I look back as a dad, as a father, as a leader in my home, I see a lot of failures. And sometimes I wonder why my children love me as much as they do. I probably shared with you already how I had an incident flying in an airplane with a fellow that went through some very much stormy weather. And I do recall numerous times due to the wind And where we were flying, he had to reline the plane to where he wanted to go with all his instruments. And as I look back on my life as a dad in my home, due to a lot of my failures and things like that, I feel like my life is a life of looking back, changing course, directing a new course and steering and going forward as a leader in my home. You know, this morning, as we consider the Christian home, I believe the Christian home in our day is under Intense, tremendous pressure. The Christian home in our day is under some tremendous pressure. And I think you would agree with me. The Christian home is under his pressure. However, I believe that the Christian home continues to be and always will be the apple of God's eye. And that gives us encouragement this morning. I believe the Christian home is to be a place where love flows and young souls can be nurtured and grow up and learn To love Christ. It seems in the past Satan has made direct attacks on home where men had tried to speak about it. And because of that, it's an easy subject to push off. Because I believe the devil hates when we focus on the home. Because I believe the home is God's design where souls are nurtured and learn to love Christ. I believe when Satan is able to wreck and weaken a home, he then wrecks and weakens a church and eventually will ruin a nation. And I believe that's becoming more and more a reality in our present day America. You know, this morning as I'm sharing, I recognize that we have a lot of young couples. We have numerous young married couples just starting their home. And then we have numerous ones that are In my age, where we are in the thick of it, we're in the thick of family raising, trying to do our best. Then we have others that may be a bit older, and some of us look back with numerous regrets and wish that we could do things over. You know, this morning I'm not targeting anybody. I'm recognizing that when we have homes and where we have disappointments, there's usually enough blame to put it a lot of different places. There really is. I believe that. So this morning, I'd just like to give some encouragement, whether we find, regardless of where we find ourselves as we think of this whole subject of our homes. I believe in a ruined, disillusioned, disillusioned nation. I believe it is always going to be possible to raise a family that will shine forth as lights in a dark nation. That is becoming more and more ruined. And I would like to give that as some hope and some encouragement, especially to the young families among us. 
I used to be one of those young families. I don't consider that anymore. But I believe there will be always be a way that we can raise families that will shine forth as lights in a fallen world. If Philippians 2.15 says that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and a perverse nation among whom you shine forth as lights in the world. Now, some of you are probably wondering how I ended up there, why I read the passage of Scripture that I did. I, I, I was there in, in, in John chapter 15 where Peter said, I go fishing. You know, this morning, maybe I'm getting a little bit ahead of my notes here this morning. But, you know, I believe it's easy. And I say this from my own past experience and where I currently find myself and some of the things that I battle with. You know, it's easy to start off young and a young family with all our high ideals, our vision, our goals, our dreams, and things that we are going to attain as we think of raising our family. And you know, it's very easy to get to, you know, in the thick of it. And we begin experiencing maybe some resistance. Maybe we get tired and those kind of things. And you know, the easiest thing to do is begin shirking our responsibility and develop a Peter attitude and say, ah, let's go fishing. We would never say that. We would never say that we're giving up. But you know, it's, it's too easy to give up this morning. I'd like to go to 1 Corinthians now and just make reference to a couple of scriptures there in where I was earlier in chapter 15. I'd just like to do that considering the day that today is being Easter Sunday and the day that we celebrate the resurrection. Just to give us as parents some hope and encouragement to keep going. And then I'd like to just have numerous points that relate to the home and just go down over that this morning. So that's where I'm going I did spend a good bit of time there as I had shared in 1 Corinthians 15, but I began steering away from that. I was thinking about this subject, and I guess I'll tell you now, mostly the reason why I ended up in the home was because how this chapter concludes. And that is verse 58. Verse 58 has always been a precious verse to me, and I thought different times, boy, sometime, you know, I wonder if God wouldn't have me preach a message out of chapter 15. And I thought about the home as I thought about this chapter in my meditations yesterday. Chapter 50, verse 58 of chapter 4, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Now, I'd like to look, as we all know, that verse that word, therefore, that we find the beginning of verse 58 is referring to the preceding verses. And I'd just like to ponder just a few thoughts from verse 51 through 57. He says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. This morning, I'd just like to bring to our attention, I am looking forward to that mystery. You know, I think it was a mystery back there with, those that were near to Jesus with his disciples and uh, some of the women, including his own mother. I think there was a lot of mysteries that were unfolding. And you know, today, as we look into the future, we're not living back there 2,000 years ago. We're living today in this generation. And as we heard Wednesday night, as, as Brother Dave was sharing some about Menna Simon's history, and, you know, we look forward. There's a lot of things we don't know how this is all going to come together. 
There's a lot of things we don't know. And we look at it and we think it's, it's somewhat of a mystery. And it is a mystery. There's a lot of things that I don't know. But there's some very foundational things here that are a blessing for us to consider this morning as part of this mystery. And that is, we're not all going to sleep. Now, there again, it was referring to what was referring to earlier in the chapter. On behalf of those that had fallen asleep, where it's referring to here, had died. Um, but it says, we shall be changed. It says, in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye, the last trumpet, for that trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. You know, this morning as we think of family life, we think of the home, we think of the effort, we think of all the challenge that gets put into the home, sometimes we just get overwhelmed and tired. And sometimes it helps us this morning to think about the future that we have. You know, I remember a man back at Green Dragon. I go there sometimes to buy produce. He's the melon man. He's not a godly man. I knew him when I was delivering produce, and I still go back there to get produce sometime. And he's always a wound up, pumped up fellow. Some of you maybe know uh, who he is. And he told me one time that he works over summer and he rests over winter. Over winter is when he rests, and summer is when he don't sleep. He just works. Now, obviously, he does some sleeping. But, you know, I, that always stuck with me. You know, on this side of eternity, there is a lot to do. There's work to do. And sometimes we just feel like doing the Peter thing. Just giving up. But in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trump, the trump shall sound, the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Verse 53, for this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal shall put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on, on immortality... Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The death of sin, of, the sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be unto God which giveth us the victory through Jesus, through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, this morning I am looking forward to that victory on the other side. And I trust this morning as we consider that the day will come where we will put off this corruptible body with its aches and its pains and its getting tired and its longing and desires to doing the Peter thing and going fishing. The day will come where we put that off and we'll put on an incorruptible body. This mortal should put off this mortal body and put on an immortal body that will live forever. And I'd like to just give us some encouragement this morning as before we go into thinking more, some of the things that I'd like to refer to as the home, to give us some encouragement to keep going as we look ahead at that victory that lies ahead for the Christian, to be a motivation for us this morning to keep going when we get tired, when we feel like doing the Peter thing. Where do we find ourselves this morning? is the question I'd like to ask. You know, this morning I'd like to refer to 2 Corinthians 2.11. says, Satan, lest Satan should get the advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. You know, I believe Satan has many devices to shipwreck the family in our day. And my encouragement this morning is just, you know, I'm probably not really going to share anything new with you. But, you know, my, my desire this morning is that we could sharpen maybe our vigilance as it relates to our homes and find a fresh dose of encouragement and energy and whatever it takes to put into our home.
and not be ignorant of his devices. I believe he has many. You know, this morning I just, in this message, would like to talk to you somewhat more in a heart-to-heart level of what I felt God was just impressing on me as it relates to our home. And as I had referred to you, that verse in 58, it says, Beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. At some point as we go along, I'll refer some more to the thoughts in that verse. But I'd just like to share this morning from my heart some of the things that I felt that God was impressing on me as I was considering, yes, the request that came my way, but yesterday, more specifically, this subject of the home. One of the things that came to my mind that I would like to encourage us in this morning is and, and maybe some of us need a rekindling in our own life, and that is a vision. What is our vision this morning as it relates to our home? Do we have a vision this morning as it relates to our home? You know, I struggle with saying this because I'm afraid there could be some that take it personal. And I, I, I don't have an agenda. I don't even have that strong of a preference for this subject, but I'm going to use it. And don't write me off when I say this because of where you currently find yourself because I'm not attacking and I really, I really am not attacking it. But I would like to just use it as a suggestion to throw out and then maybe ask a few more questions in regards to that. One of the things that I have been noticing in our circles and in our circle here is, here again, don't write me off by saying this, I'm almost afraid to say it, But we have in our fellowship a shifting away from what at one point was our vision as it relates to homeschooling our children. Now, some of you are saying, ouch, I'm not targeting anybody. You know, I'm of the persuasion that if it enables us to have a better relationship with our children and our, our families to function better by going to school, then I, my recommendation is you go to school. And we have actually considered sending our children to school uh, with some of the you know, circumstances in our own home. I'm not, I'm not biased here about having to be homeschooling. But I would like to use it and at least raise the question, where are we in our vision? You know, I think... Eventually here, I'd like to talk about relationships, relationships with our children. You know, I believe for some of us, it maybe will enable us to have a better relationship with our children. And I think going to school versus homeschool has a lot of advantages or disadvantages. And I'm not going to go down that road trying to encourage one way or the other, homeschooling versus schooling. I'm not doing that at all. But I'm only raising that question is, Where is our vision this morning? Do we continue to have a vision for our families? You know, the Scripture says, Where there is no vision, people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. I don't think I'm going to say a whole lot more about that. I hope hope nobody here is taking it personal. I am not opposed to... I am not opposed... I don't know how to say it other than that. I'm not opposed to going to school versus homeschooling. I'm really not. I'm not attacking anybody that is going to school. I really am not. But I would like us to raise a question. Do we have the vision that we once had? 
And you know, I'm going to speak from experience. My vision dwindles sometimes. I'm going to be honest with you. I have not always maintained and kept that vision. And I'm going to be honest with you many times. I do like Peter. And I'm tired. And I don't do as a father what I need to do. And you know, this morning I'm not going to give some sort of a recipe or come up with some idea of what is going to make our homes function. But I would like to challenge us this morning is do I have a vision? Do the daily choices I make in life, are those choices filtered through the vision that I have for my family? You know, many of the choices that we do make in life, just practical everyday choices, is giving a message one way or another to our children. Even down to the purchases that we make can give a message to our children. And you know, I believe if we really have a vision for our homes, I believe even when it comes down to the purchases we make, the more major decisions that we make in life, possibly even the trips that we go on or don't go on, or as it relates to besetting sin, areas in our life, all those things need to be filtered, I think, through the vision. Do we have a vision for our families? Maybe even the lack of care I exhibit as I relate to the lost. We give our children a message. What kind of a vision do we have? Do we have this morning a vision of keeping the world out of our homes? You know, I'd really like to put it in the hearts, especially of the young families, the more recent marriages that we've had among us, to have a vision. Have a vision that will carry you through as you make choices in life. So that's the one question that I'm asking us this morning. Do we have a vision? Do we have a vision for our homes? Do we value our homes? You know, I think I don't think we can put enough of value on our homes. Like I, I, the title says it here, the home, I believe, is the apple of God's eye this morning. Do we value our homes as we ought to value our homes? So a vision is one of them. Do we have a vision? Another point I have this morning, and I put this fairly high, as it relates to our homes. And that is to learn to resolve family issues. I think in our homes we need to learn. And here again I'm speaking from my heart. Just lessons that I've learned through life. Many times through trial and error. Many times through trial and error. Learn to resolve family issues. You know sometimes. I don't know if I should use the word amazed. But you know many times. Troubled homes are a result of unhealthy husband and wife relationships. You know, I think many times we have to reckon with that fact. Oftentimes, where there is husband and wife relationships that cannot be resolved, many times it causes children to struggle. And I think many children would say the same thing. In fact, First Peter 3, 7, you don't need to turn there, but it talks about our prayers are actually hindered. If we're not dwelling with our wives, according to knowledge, our prayers are hindered. Resolving family issues. And I'd just like to encourage us this morning on this side of the room. Dads, and I say this through a lot of my own life's experience. You know, relationship issues come. And I think it's God's design for men to step up to the plate when it comes to unresolved relationship issues. You know, 
through life's experience, my own personal family, my extended family, uh, for quite a number of years I was involved on uh, the, the school board for the special ed school relating to four teachers working together in ministry and also in my own my own looking at my own past there are times that I have had relationship relationship issues that I need others to help me through relationship issues in home are very real i don't think there's a home that doesn't deal with relationship issues do you agree relationship issues Learn to resolve relationship issues. You know, a home that is under stress because of stressful relationships is not going to be a peaceful home where children are going to flourish and be nurtured. Learn to deal with relationship issues is a point that I don't know that I can put enough emphasis on as it relates to the home. Another point is to have a good relationship with our children. Now, that's just simply an extension of this one right here. Turn to Malachi 4.6. There is, and that is the very last verse most of you could probably quote it in the Old Testament. That is such a simple, simplistic verse that to me is such a powerful, powerful verse. And it just says it the way it is in Malachi 4.6. And it's talking about Elijah here. And it's talking about, you know, it says, Behold, I send you in verse 5. Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. I think it's referring to the church age that we're living in here. And it says, And he shall turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. You know, that verse is so simple and so basic that sometimes we... I don't know how to say it. But, you know, the verse is so powerful that I believe when a dad and a mom simply have their hearts turned toward their children is a powerful, powerful thing. And I think our children can detect it. Have good relationships with your children. Just consider the simplicity of that verse. You know, it is so simple and so basic that I afraid we miss it. But, you know, just simply having the heart what I see in this verse is just simply the heart of a dad that is turned towards his children. You know, especially to give the young families among us some hope and encouragement. You know, this thing of being a parent of raising a children really is not that complicated. It is very complicated, but it's not that complicated. If we simply have a heart this morning that is turned towards our children. And that gives me great hope and encouragement, and I trust to you too. Have a heart turned towards your children. Have a good relationship with your children. And you know, for most of us, that takes something that we have so little of, and that is time. That is time. Time put into raising our family. How essential it is to take time. And you know, I'm one that my children could accuse me many times of not taking the time that I do. But, you know, time is something. I'd just like to give us some encouragement this morning. It takes time as it relates to our family. Some time ago, some of you probably remember, actually it's quite a few years ago, Brother Leonard had a message relating to dads, relating to their children. Some of you will remember he talked about dads being like velvet and also being like steel. Some of you remember that? 
men of velvet and men of steel. You know, sometimes we have to be like that velvet. We have to be soft and we come to our children and we relate to them on that level. And we, we relate. And, you know, I think we always ought to always relate to our children out of a relationship and be seeking to have that open relationship with our children that flows. And many times I think we need to come on that level with our children and relate to them like velvet. And then the other side of that message was sometimes we need to relate like steel where dads need to be dads and need to be leaders and put our foot down. We're going to get on that a little bit later. One more encouragement I'd like to give to us as we're considering the whole thing of relationship with our children. And I'd like to give us some encouragement. One of the things that I have learned and am learning, and here again many times probably through trial and error, and I'm sure my children could testify to it, But I believe when it comes to relating to our teenagers, we have to learn to relate to our teenagers because we are relating to young adults. They're no longer that little three and four and five and six and seven year olds. But I think God is longing to give us grace to learn how to relate to our teenagers as young adults. You know, our teenagers really are going through a time of life where they're figuring a lot of things out. They're establishing their own convictions. They are trying to figure out you know, where they're at, where they're going in life and figure their future. You know, a lot of things that a teenager is figuring out. And I think we have to come into the hearts. You know, many of us are too busy. But I think we have to come into the hearts of our teenagers and relate to our teenagers on that level. And I think if our teenagers would be honest with us this morning, they're longing for that out of their parents to have that kind of a relationship. That is the kind of a relationship that I think our children will struggle. I mean, will, will blossom and will prosper. All right, I think I'll leave that one. Another point I have here is you must live a life of denial and surrender yourself. You know, I think those of you that have been parenting long enough know that being a parent requires living a life of sacrifice, a life of denial, a life of being yielded yourself. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5.31, I die daily. And I believe a home is a place where we as parents need to learn to die daily to those things that we would like to do. You know, in all reality, that's where Peter found himself that day when he said, I'll just go fishing. I'll just go fishing. This morning, are you fishing? Or do we have a vision? And are we living a life of denial and surrender? And here again, I'm not coming from the perspective that I've learned in my home to live a life of denial and surrender. Many times, as I said before, I find myself too often a Peter. Jesus said in Luke 9, 23, a familiar verse. He said unto them, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me daily. Follow me daily. I believe a home is a place to learn to live a life of denial and surrender. And in it, find the blessing of God. I'd like to encourage you with that. In it, find the blessing of God. You know, I believe as parents in the home, we need to learn at times we need to sacrifice sleep. Sometimes we just feel like sleeping. But there are times we need to burn the midnight oil when one of our children needs to talk, possibly in the night or late in the evening when we so badly want to go to bed. We need to learn, I believe, to wear all the hats that being a parent requires us to wear. And I don't want to overwhelm anybody, but I believe God is longing to pour grace into empty vessels who realize how desperately we need God. And that's what Peter desperately needed that day. That's why Peter went fishing. I don't think he had the power. 
I don't think Peter had the power that day to go fishing. That was poured out later. You know, my own personal testimony is, and I don't do this all the time, but numerous times when I'm coming up the, up the hill, heading home to my house, I breathe a prayer to the Lord to help me to go home and jump into my other full-time job. You know, we have full-time jobs, but our real full-time job is in the home. You know, it's easy to be present in the home, but to be an absent dad. I see some dad's heads shaking. It's very easy to do, to be present in the home, but to be an absent dad. You know, I think dads really ought to be a little bit like a probe that is able to detect the temperature and the situation of a home and where children are struggling, be able to focus on that area because at times in the home, as we know, children struggle. Another thing I have here is we need to learn to lead by an example. You know, as we know the saying, much more is caught than taught. Do I lead my home by example? Am I given an example of consistency to my children? Or do I say one thing and do another? You know, if anything will confuse children and it's a home, if we say and preach one thing but live another. Do I live a life of consistency before my children is a question that I think we need to ask ourselves and I need to ask myself. Is my life consistent with the practice of my local church fellowship? You know, I think that's very important. I think it's very important. You know, sometimes I'm amazed. You know, dads that are not under authority, dads that are not doing what they know they ought to be doing and then wonder why our children struggle not honoring us. Is it any wonder if we're a dad who isn't under authority? You know, I think it's very important when we go to a brother's meeting and things are discussed and talked about that dads exemplify. And I'm not saying we have to always agree completely with every decision that's made in a brother's meeting, but I think it's very important that our children see parents that honor and respect and love the direction and the guidance that's given in a brotherhood. Or if we're one that find ourselves out here getting away as much as we can, you know, in all reality what we're really doing is giving our children a message if we live like that. Another point I hear is to recognize as leaders in our home the need for nonconformity to the world. You know, we hear a lot about that, and I think just as we're considering the home, as we're considering this whole subject of parenting and all of that, you know, I think we would do ourselves a disfavor by not at least looking at this subject. You know, I believe in today's world and day that we live in, the world puts intense pressure on the Christian home, on families. You know, I believe the, the, the world puts intense pressure to conform to its image in many, many ways. Recognize the need for nonconformity to the world. We all know the familiar verse in Romans 12. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Maybe I'll just read that verse. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. 
And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You know, if we love the world and we have our loves with the world, it will affect our relationship with God. And you know, we could raise the question, what are the characteristics of the world? You know, one of the characteristics, I think, of the world is to make us dissatisfied unless we have the best or unless we have what the world offers. Are we satisfied this morning without the pressures that the world is putting on us? I'd like to talk a little bit about being steadfast and unmovable. Uh, back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15, back to the, the key verse that I was referring to, says, Therefore, beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Are we steadfast dads? You know, this morning as I consider the word unmovable, I think of compromise. How easy it is to compromise. <clears throat> You know, I've been reading a book or going through a book here the last couple of weeks, and it's a book that I would highly recommend for you to read. It's by Gary Miller, and it's a book that is titled Going Till You're Gone. One of the things he refers to in that book, and, and, and the going, you know, many times when we think of the world, we think of nonconformity, we think of the world not having an influence on us. Many, many times we target the youth, do we not? And we realize that. The world puts intense pressure on youth, and we target the youth. And one of the things that I just really appreciate about Gary Miller's book, Going to Your Gone, he does not target the youth. He, tar- he targets the men, the middle-aged men that find ourselves where we find ourselves today. And, you know, he really challenges us with having a real kingdom lifestyle. And I know I talked about that in the last message, but just to reinstate that a bit, the going to your gone, you know, he talks about, Many of us, when we hit the mid-life like we are here, things oftentimes begin to change. We uh, have a little bit more cash on hand. And, you know, we possibly have some teenage children that are working in the home and, and, and helping to support the family. And oftentimes when we, you know, hit maybe the mid-40s or enter into the 50s, you know, I guess that's when you call it you go over the hill. Things start going a little bit easier. You start down the other side. There's more cash on hand. And, you know, it's very easy at that point to start living a more relaxed lifestyle. It really is. You know, we have more cash at our fingertips. And we can do all those things. And we can begin to compromise. And he actually used an example in that book that I really appreciate. And I shared this the other Sunday when I was at Harmony. He talks about the salmon fish and how, you know, they they leave the waters where they were hatched, I guess, or born hatched, I guess it would be a fish. You know, they travel many, many thousand miles, but at the end of their life, after traveling many, several thousand miles at least, they find, which is a miraculous, miraculous thing, how the salmon fish will find their way back to where they originated from. You know, I don't know what that does to the evolutionists, but that's just an amazing, amazing reality, what they do. But anyway, as Gary says in his book, you know, as that fish is finding his way back, you know, they, they do some extremely hard things. They'll They'll jump, the record says sometimes uh, water falls and dams up to six and seven feet high to get back to where they originated from. 
And many times, by the times that salmon fish reaches back where he came from, he'll have deep scars from falling into rocks and that kind of thing as he's navigating those rough, turbulent waters. And we all know what those rough, turbulent waters are like in family life and sometimes financial hardships and those kind of things. But as he stated, one of the most dangerous things for the salmon fish as he's finding his way back is not where those waters are rough, is not where the struggle is and all those dangers that seem to be dangerous, but the most dangerous place for that salmon fish on his way back is the still waters where he can just, you know, swim at still waters because that's where the, the grizzly bear and the eagles hang out to snatch away the eagle. And that's the whole thrust of Gary Miller's book is is to challenge us when we hit that stage in life not to become relaxed. And I think sometimes when we become relaxed, we can give our children a message. Are we as zealous for our faith? Are we going till we're gone? And you know, that actually reminded me of what Dave had shared with us on Wednesday night, how the the, the Mennonite church became prosperous and began losing out spiritually when things went well and they weren't experiencing the persecution. And, you know, none of us are exempt from that. We live in a prosperous, you know, we still live in a very prosperous time where we have money at our fingertips and we're not exempt. So let's be steadfast and unmovable. You know, one of the realities that we're faced with in our day, in our generation, and and, uh, Lyndon referred to it here this morning, and that is deception. You know, deception is, is very real. Deception is very real. And Satan is a deceiver. Uh, you can turn to Genesis chapter 3 just to read a few verses there. It's a very familiar passage of Scripture. Deception. You know, I believe Satan would long to get into our homes and deceive. And I think we as dads primarily are responsible to recognize deception. It says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of the tree in the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may not eat of the tree in the garden, but of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for the Lord doth know in the day that ye eat thereof, your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eye, And it was a tree to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave to her husband. And he did eat. And we know the results of that. But, you know, it was when they, you know, you see deception working there in the Garden of Eden. I think Satan has been working at deceiving ever since. And he uses the eye gate. He uses our natural eye. What we see is pleasant. And you know, our day, we're tempted, I believe, in many, many ways by deception. But I believe that we as parents need to be on guard in our homes continuously against deception. Revelation 20, verse 10 says, And the devil devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And we know that is the end of the devil and his works. But we know that until that time comes, he is a deceiver and he's going to be planning his deceptive, cunning ways 
to deceive the church. Someone has says it this way, temptation is his specialty. He capitalizes on making something appealing, which in the long run will bring ruin and heartache. That is how it was since the first temptation in Genesis 3, and that's how it has been ever since. Turn to James chapter 1, if you will. Some more verses that talk about temptation. James chapter 1, and I will begin reading. These are familiar verses, verses 13 through 15. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And when sin is finished, it bringeth forth death. Temptation. We also know the familiar verse in 1 Corinthians 10. 13 that talks about there is no temptation taken you but that which is coming to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer us to be tempted above which we are able but will with the temptation make a way of escape. Someone has said most people in the depth of their heart know and have known how they ought to live and what they ought to do. Their problem is either they don't want to or they don't have the power to do what they know they ought to do. Temptation. Let's always, as parents in our homes, be on guard to temptation. I'd like to refer, as I look at this last one here, at least for us men, to consider, and I believe this is a real one in our homes, for us as men to be sharp with. And maybe this is where my whole burden originated from as I consider uh, Peter, you know, God wanted to make Peter a fearless leader. And we know what Peter did there where he shirked, we could say, his responsibility and said, ah, oh, let's go fishing. I would like for us this morning to encourage us as men to be the leaders in our home that we need to be. You know, I really believe I really believe in the day that we live in, God is attacking leaders, leaders in our home. And I guess I'd really like to challenge us as dads. Let's step up to the plate in our homes and let's be the leaders that God calls us to be. You know, when I think of being a leader, I think of responsibility. I think of the word responsibility. And you know, this morning... It's our responsibility to lead and be a leader in our home. You know, I think, and I have a burden, that God would raise up leaders. You know, I really believe that if we are a married man and we have our home, we don't have an option not to be a leader. We need to be leaders and we need to take our responsibility serious. And as I had referred to, to before as one of the points, but just to say it again, I think if we're going to be a leader and we're going to guide our home, I think we have to be a leader that's under authority. And you know, I guess I consider when I think of leadership, and here again, I'm not saying that I have arrived in my home that I've done everything right. I have not done everything right. But you know, I would have to say, and I don't know, I guess it's from a lot of trial and error, but I, in my past, have been a very, very insecure person. I've been a very insecure person. 
But I believe we need to step up to the plate this morning and be leaders and be the leader that God calls us to be in our home. And I believe when we rise to the challenge of being a leader, we'll be, we will be a prime target of the devil. I believe we will. One of the things when I think of being a leader in our home, I think we as leaders in our home need to learn to be watchmen. You know, we know back in the Old Testament, I believe those watchmen that were on the walls of a city were watchmen that were always watching for the enemy to come. And you know, I believe there is a need in our day and in our generation for we as men to take our responsibility serious and be that watchman on the wall that is watching for the enemy. I believe we need to be that watchman that is watching for deception. And I think we need to be that watchman that has a prayer life, that watchman that is living close to the heart of God like John was, that knew the heart of God and knew the burden of God. You know, I think we need to be the kind of watchman that is entered into the burden and the passion and the desire of a brotherhood to be that watchman. You know, I the older I get, the more and more value, excuse me, that I put on the fact of being able to be entered into a fellowship that fears God and is learning to live, you know, the Christian life and enjoy church life in our day. And I, I believe in order for us to be a watchman, I think we need that. We need that brotherhood accountability. We need that brotherhood commitment. I believe in order to be that watchman. You know, I, as I would have shared before already, I get troubled sometimes when I think, and I'm here again, I know I said it before, I'm not opposed to change because I think there is a time where we can make changes and adjustment in our lives. But I get burdened sometimes when I think of how easy it is to change because of the pressures that the world's putting on. And I would just have to say to us this morning as dads, are we that watchman in our home? And I'd just like to encourage you young men that have recently gotten married to learn to be that watchman, to learn to be vigilant in your home. And to begin when you're young and you have those young children around you. To learn to be a watchman in your home. I referred to it earlier, but just to refer to it again, you know, to be that leader, to learn to come home and make personal application that we need to as it relates to our brothers, you know, possibly at our brothers meeting. To be that watchman, to be a dad. You know, I think it's very important that as much as I believe in that whole relationship thing with our families, and I believe in being a dad of velvet, and I believe we need to learn to relate to children on that level. And I had re- I had referred earlier that I think we as dads need to learn how to wear numerous hats. You know, I think we need to learn how to relate on that level. But I believe also as leaders in our home, and i just like to give this encouragement, as leaders in our home, I think it is so very important in the day and generation that we live in that we learn how to draw clear lines in our home. I think that is so very important. That is so very important that we in our homes need to learn how to draw clear lines and have lines that we won't go over. And you know, the easiest thing is is to be dads this morning that are asleep. Dads that are asleep. You know, I think in the day that we live in, we dads need to be vigilant in our homes. And I'd like to give us that encouragement this morning. Let's be dads that are vigilant. Let's be dads this morning in our homes that knows what's happening knows what's happening in the lives of her children. I think it's so important. Let's be vigilant dads in our home. And let's recognize that it was when, when, when Eve back there in the garden began to dialogue with the devil, you know, and began listening and began compromising that eventually led to the ruin 
think we need to realize that. So let's be dads that are leaders. So when it says it's, it's easier to set a high standard and hold to it than to compromise and tomorrow try to make the adjustments. I don't know if I'm making sense there. But it's much easier to draw lines and hold to it than it is to start giving in and giving in and then at some point realize, you know what, that is not the way I want to go with my family and try to pull things back can be very hard. And, you know, I know that there's some of us probably in that room, this room that are experiencing some of that, and I'm not targeting that, but I just like to give it as an encouragement as to young families to learn to draw lines and learn to have that vision and to go a certain direction with our family and stick to it because families, I think, are under attack. Take responsibility. Are we stepping over the boundaries that we once made? <clears throat> Do we know what for books are coming into our homes? We talked here several weeks ago about videos and those kind of things. Do we know what's coming into our home? Are we a dad that's vigilant? Are we on our toes? I'd like to talk a little bit about being unmovable in lifestyle. And I know that these are things that we all find ourselves at different places. And I think... We have to find our way when it comes to recreation, when it comes to those things that we do as families. And I'd just like to just consider some practical things here this morning. And I don't know what all of us do or don't do as it relates to the things that we do as far as recreation and those kind of things. And I'd just like to give some encouragement this morning as it relates to the places that we go you know, one of the things that we have stood to over the years, I believe, is a fellowship and a vision that we had as it relates to amusement parks. You know, there's all kinds of things that are amusing. You know, there's amusement parks, there's rodeos, there's ball games. You know, there's all those kind of things that we can get involved in. And we give a message. We give a message to our children. What kind of a vision do we have this morning? You know, I grew up in my earlier years, just to share from my own heart. You know, I spent a lot of time at rodeos, at ball games, at amusement parks, at movies, going to the circus. A lot of times, you know, snowmobiling, dirt biking, and all those kind of things, cars, boats, water skiing. You know, we can go on down that list. Those things are all so empty. And I guess this morning I'd just like to challenge us as we think of leaders in our homes as parents. What are we doing with our time? You know, I believe we give a message to our families depending on how close. And that's the question I'd like to raise this morning. How much of that kind of involvement do we want? What kind of a vision do we have as it relates to our lifestyles this morning? Those things were all idols in my past that I turned away from. But you know, this morning it's very easy in the day and the generation that we live in to live closer to those things. Those things sometimes that we once took a stand against. It's very easy to make them a part of our life. And I'm not saying that all those things necessarily are wrong. Most of them probably are. But what for message are we giving as it relates to? Are we movable in our lifestyles? What for message are we giving our families? You know, I think depending on how close we live to the world, we heard a message here several weeks ago 
about offenses, about offending our children, about offending our children, depending on how we as older ones live our lives, we can actually offend one of these little ones. So dads, I'd just like to give us that encouragement this morning. Are we leaders in our home? Are we drawing lines? Or is it time that we go home and have a bit of a family meeting and determine where we're really at? Do we have that kingdom vision that we once had? And by me sharing a message like this this morning, I'm not trying to indicate that I'm just greatly disappointed in you and that we need a major reset, but just to give us some encouragement this morning. What provision do we have for our homes? And I'd like just to speak just a little bit yet to the side of the room over here to you sisters. You know, I would just really encourage you to support your husband as a leader in the home. I value so greatly my wife. You know, I thought about reading Proverbs 31 from verse 10 on. But, you know, that verse, verse 10, talks about a woman's price being far above rubies. And I would have to say, as a leader in my home, that has been my experience for my wife and how I appreciate that over and over, to be a supportive role behind your husband. Your price is far above rubies as it relates to this whole thing of having our homes guided in the right direction. You know, I could tell a story of many, many things that I observed in a man's life that I had worked with years ago. He was a godly man. In fact, he was a man that influenced me tremendously that I eventually gave my life to Christ. He was a man that I worked with. He was a godly man. He loved the Lord. He loved his family. He loved evangelism. He was zealous for his faith. But, you know, I was amazed how, you know, his wife's personality and where she actually took him in life. And at one point, he used to really wrestle. She was going a different direction than him. And finally, one day, he finally gave up the fight and gave in. And she was an example of not being a rule of, the, of, the, of a Proverbs 31 woman that was that support to her leader husband. He eventually gave in. And I'd just like to encourage you this morning to be that helpmeet. To be that helpmeet to your husband. To don't be a husband, a wife that pushes the line, but stand with him. You know, I, I'm, I'd just like to put it into your hearts if you had any clue the amount of power that you have with your attitude as you relate to your husband is incredible. You can stand behind him and make him a powerful leader. And I'd just like to encourage you with that. I need to draw to a close here this morning. I'd like to just also, as you know, children, I haven't referred too much to you this morning as we think of homes and we think of leaders. But just to make a few comments. You know, more and more, I'm also a child. And my parents are both living. And you know, the older I get, the more I look back and realize the amount of time that my mom and dad at one point in their life invested in me makes me tremendously appreciative and thankful for what they've done for me. And you know, I'd just like to give you children some encouragement this morning as you consider the home that you live in. Don't be a child that elaborates on your parents' mistakes because we all make them. We all make them. Don't be one of those that push the line or one of those that expect your parents to be perfect. You know, whenever we have breakdown in families and in relationship, there's usually enough blame to go all around. But, you know, I think the important thing is that we all take our responsibility. You know, this morning I am convinced that our homes can be a beautiful haven. I believe this morning that our homes 
even though maybe we find ourselves at a situation where we feel like we failed from what our vision once was, I believe it is the heart of God to continue to turn our homes into havens. And I think if we all take our responsibility, whether it's on this side of the room or this side, whether it's mom or dad or whether it's children, I believe when we all do our part and take our responsibility, I believe our homes can be a beautiful haven. I really believe that. I'd like to refer to just a few more of those phrases in that verse. You know, in that verse it talks about always abounding in the work of the Lord. And I'd just like to give us some encouragement this morning as it relates to our homes. You know, this in all reality is God's work. This whole idea of the home is not our idea. This is all part of God's work. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I believe the sacrifice that parents make in their homes will not go unnoticed by our Heavenly Father. Let's continue and let's not realize that we're not laboring in vain in the Lord as it relates to our families. Let's not be weary in well-doing for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Many times we get weary. You know, I'd like to, in conclusion, just give, uh, just share this. As I, as I think of us as men, I'm going back here to us men as leaders in our homes. Uh, most of you, but I know not all of you, have been to the, uh, the revival meetings that we had up at, Har- up at Harmony where David Robertson spoke. And uh, in my mind, they were some tremendous messages as it relates to church and church life. And I'd like to give some encouragement if you didn't listen to those messages to listen to them. But even more than that, I actually made some copies. Now, I don't know if you remember that uh, at those meetings, David had given us uh, an outline of papers. It was about discipleship. Uh, discipleship, follow me, something like that set on it. And he drew a graph on that, on that paper I got one of them there. I don't know how many of you got them. I took it home and I looked over it a bit. And, you know, I suppose we won't agree totally with all the detail, all the jot and tittle that he has on that paper. But I think it's a tremendous tool for us. I really believe that it is. And I don't know at some point if it's something that will actually get discussed at any degree or another at Brothers Meeting and who's the whole idea of those messages. But I did make copies and there's a stack of them laying back there. And I'd I'll gladly make more if they get all, but I would at least encourage every home to have one of them and just to look over it. You know, sometimes we lack ideas for good, healthy, productive Sunday afternoon conversation. And if you want a good Sunday afternoon conversation, I'd encourage you to pull that list out sometime and look over it. You know, we're really interested in making disciples in our homes, are we not? We're really interested in making disciples in our homes. And I'd just like to conclude with that. If you think of it on your way out, get one of those papers. And like I said, if they get all, I'll gladly get more. So I don't know. might seem like somewhat of a backwards Easter message for you all. But I felt like that's what God was giving me yesterday. And I'd just like it to be an encouragement to you. Let's rekindle that vision in our homes when it comes to raising our families for the Lord. I'd like if we could do that. Why don't we uh, bow our heads for prayer? Father in heaven, we thank you this morning for your love. I thank you, Father, for my home. And I thank you for each and every home that is represented here. 
Thank you, Father, for the many children that are here. Thank you, Father, for the young families. Thank you, Father, for the weddings that we've had recently, the establishing of new homes. And, Father, we realize this morning, and I do believe, that the home truly is the apple of your eye. And, Father, I believe it is your work. And I believe in due season we'll reap if we think not. And, Father, I pray that you would continue to pour out your blessing upon the homes that are represented here. Father, I pray that you would give special grace in the homes where there's some children struggling. Lord, we realize that we all have a choice to make. Children have a choice to make. We as parents have choices to make. And I believe that together we can have homes where children are nurtured. And I just pray, Father, that you would push the reset button in my life where that reset button needs pushed. And Father, when I think of the brothers and sisters in this congregation where we need a rekindled vision, purpose, and burden and all those things for our lives, Father, I pray that you would help us. Father, I pray especially for the men in our congregation. Father, I realize that the easiest thing for us to do is to do what Peter did and give up the fight and say, we'll go fishing and even influence others in that direction. And I pray, Lord, you'd help us to be like the later Peter when he was anointed by the Spirit of God and fulfilled his God-given calling and responsibility as a leader in the birth of the church. And I pray, Father, that you would make us as men to be those fearless leaders, to be men that draw lines, and also pray that you would help us to be like the dad that is like velvet. And I pray, Lord, most of all, that you would take our hearts and you would turn our hearts towards our children. Father, we realize that we can't put enough value or even a price tag on the value of a child. And I pray that as dads, you would take our and moms, take our hearts and turn them toward our families and value the things that you value. And I pray, Lord, that you would bless our home. And I pray, Lord, that in blessing our homes, you would bless this congregation and this fellowship in the years to come that it could be a haven and a place where children prosper and grow up. And Lord, that we could be a church that would send out missionaries that would impact the world. And Father, we just want to commit our lives to you, commit each one that's here to you. May you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.